moving forward towards the end of our series. Next week will be the last week, but we're getting close. And we've been traversing through the book of Ezekiel. And God has been speaking to our hearts and opening our eyes to new things, really in many ways rediscovering truth. And I think it's a relevant truth for us today. This morning, I want to share a message on the river of life. I think it's so uh, important as it ties to uh, what we just witnessed and saw in this place. Uh, Scripture comes from Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 1 to 12. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Ezekiel 47, 1 to 12, about 12 verses to read together. And Scripture is behind me. And can we read in one voice together? The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around to the side, the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with the measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross. Because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah. Where it enters the Dead Sea. And when it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Engalam. There will be many places for spreading nets, and the fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today for Ezekiel 47. And we believe you have a word for us today. You are calling us to take a step forward and to go deeper in our faith with you. To be totally surrendered to you, our God. And so, Father, I pray that you'd speak to every heart and every mind today. Lord, there might be limitations that we have in our lives, many reasons why we should just stay back where we are, but you're calling us to step out into the unknown. And when we do that, we're taking a step of faith. Yes, it's a risk, but it's a step of faith because you're with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You're always with us. 
And may we experience that even today. May everyone be encouraged to practically take a step of obedience and to walk into the things God has for them. So God, we thank you for your word today. Lord, I cannot preach the word of God without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Lord, it'd be of no use to anyone here. But if your spirit would come upon me, then I'd preach the word with boldness and with conviction. And your people would not just hear the word, they would obey the word. So Lord, I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to preach your word to your people. May they receive a word from the living God. We ask for your blessing now in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. You may be seated. In Ezekiel 47, we are reminded that God is the source from whom all blessings flow. Amen? Not only does he want to revitalize people, he also wants to revitalize the land. And when God's people sinned, it had an adverse effect upon the land. When God's people were exiled from the land, their land became neglected and no one cared for it. But I want you to know that our God cares for all of his creation. He loves it. He created it. And so he's faithful to it. Water plays a crucial role in the grand narrative of scripture, especially in the beginning, in the middle, and in the end. Let me explain what I mean by that. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 10 to 14, we read about how God used a river to feed the Garden of Eden. In verse 10, it begins, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. And the name of the first is Pishon. The name of the second river is Gihon. And the name of the third river is the Tigris. And the name of the fourth river is the Euphrates. From one river came many rivers. And from one river, many people and many lands were blessed. And then we move through the word of God and through this narrative of scripture. We reach around the halfway point of the Bible. We come across the scriptures like Psalm 46 verse 4. Where it says that the sons of Korah wrote this. "This is a ri- There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells. There is a river, my friends, that makes God's people glad. The river of God flows from the place where God dwells. And in that time, God dwelt among his people by inhabiting the temple of the Lord. And as that river flows, it makes the people glad. They cannot be sad because God is in the city. The river is tied to the emotions of God's people. That there can be no happiness, there can be no flourishing apart from God. You have to be connected to him. You need to be near the life source of the river in order to experience all the blessings that God has for you. We need to stay near the river, my friends, at all times. In Revelation 22, verses 1 to 2, we read and we receive a picture of a river river that is to come in the future. The scripture says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal. Flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. And while similar to Ezekiel 47, this scene differs because the river is called the water of life. And on each side of that river are the tree of life. The river is symbolic of God's restoration, both in the now and then in the not yet. 
both in the present time when Ezekiel is living, in our present time when we're living, but also in the future. We await this. And so it's with this background that I want to highlight three spiritual insights drawn from the water imagery of Ezekiel 47, 1 to 12, to help us understand how God wants to revitalize us today. Do you believe that today? You might have come weary into this place, but you serve a God who wants to revitalize you from the inside out. First point this morning, you can write this down if you're taking notes. Deep water. We see deep water in the text. Beginning in verse 3 on to the beginning of verse 6. Let me just refresh that scripture for your memory. That as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. And he measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. And he measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in. A river that no one could cross. And he asked me, son of man, do you see this? You know, as the guide measured out a thousand cubits at a time, Ezekiel measured out the water level according to his human body. And the different water levels really represent a progressive work of God, which we call sanctification. And sanctification is simply this, us growing and becoming more like Jesus us becoming more and more holy, us conforming to the image of God and his desire for us. And there were four stages. Ezekiel moved from ankle deep to knee deep to waist deep to body deep, head and shoulders, knees and toes, but the opposite way. See, off the cuff, it's all good. Ezekiel called us to go to the river with him. And his call into the river represents a call for all of us to go deeper with God. Will we answer the call? Will we enter the water? In Psalm 42, verse 7, the sons of Korah, they also penned these poetic words. They say, deep calls to deep. I love that. What does that actually mean? It means that the deep things of God are calling out to the deep things of our soul. It is in the deepest waters of life that our reliance on God becomes the greatest. From another perspective, Ezekiel experience, it reminds us of the ordinance of water baptism. That he was fully immersed in the river of God. And although there is biblical precedent for the sprinkling of blood and the pouring of oil and all these other images, when it comes to water baptism... The biblical illustration par excellence is immersion in the water. In Zechariah 13 verse 1, the prophet Zechariah, he prophesied about a special fountain. It says, on that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. And he foreshadowed the cleansing of God's people upon returning back to the city of Jerusalem. That there would be a great cleansing through the waters of God. So by the way, today, maybe you saw what took place and six people making that decision, taking that next step. And you haven't been water baptized yet. I, I think that could be the next best spiritual step in your journey. 
that maybe you're already saved, you're already in the family of God, you've experienced salvation and the grace of God. That's wonderful. Fantastic. We're so proud of you. But there's another step. What is that next step for you? I want you to know that baptism is a symbolic representation of your cleansing, what God has already done for you. I want to borrow some thoughts from F.B. Meyer, a great theologian, to help describe the four stages of spiritual death. He says some of these things. Some of you today are ankle-deep Christians. You are walking in the faith, yes, but nothing more. It's the first step, but there's still three more steps ahead of you. Some of you are knee-deep Christians, and the knees often represent the posture of prayer. You're not simply walking in faith, but you're communicating with God. It's the second step, but there's still two more steps ahead. Some of you are waist-deep Christians, and the waist often represents the purity of the believer. You are not simply just communicating with God. You are conforming into the image that God wants you to conform. To the image of his son, Jesus Christ. You're becoming more like him. It's the third step. But there's still one more step ahead of you. Some of you are body-deep Christians. The body-deep Christians, they often represent a person who is fully surrendered to the Lord. Every area, every part, under the control of the Holy Spirit. F.B. Meyer concludes this way. We need the ankle depths of walking to be exchanged for the knee depths of praying. And these for the loin depths of perfect purity. And these for the length and the depth and the breadth and the height of the love of Christ. You know, of these four stages of Christianity, let me ask you this question today. How deep is your spirituality? How deep? Maybe you are a new Christian and you are ankle deep. That is fantastic. But what is the next step ahead of you? Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, and yet somehow you have regressed, and you have not progressed. You are still ankle deep in the water. Why haven't you gone deeper? I believe this morning, God is calling you to move into deeper relationships, into deeper waters with him. Today is the day. Secondly, we find fresh water in the scripture In Ezekiel 47, the second half of verse 6 all the way to verse 8, the scripture says, Then he led me back to the bank of the river, and when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. And when it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Wow. I don't know if you know this, but it's very difficult for salt water to be turned into fresh water. That process is very complex. The water has to be desalinated in order to become fresh again. And one option is to heat water in order to collect the water droplets that become pure and fresh. That is a very long and tedious process. Just to get one liter of water, just to get one gallon of water, that will take a long period of time. Imagine a sea. How how can that even happen? The other option is to filter salt particles from salt water. That is also a tedious process. 
But we need to remember that today we're talking about the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is the saltiest body of water on this planet. So we are presented with a significant obstacle in this scripture. To put into perspective, the average salinity of ocean water is between 33 to 35 parts per thousand. While the average salinity of the Dead Sea is 280 parts per thousand. If you do the math, this makes the desalination of the Dead Sea eight times more complicated than that of ocean water or that of any just regular seawater. For the Dead Sea to be made fresh would be a miracle of God. There's no other way. And though the vision... Through the vision of Ezekiel 47, here is what God is telling us. God is telling us that with him, the impossible can become possible. It can happen. It can happen for the Israelites and it can happen for us. You know, God's people are being likened to the extreme saltiness of the Dead Sea. These people have veered away from God. They have wandered from him. They're living in exile far from deep relationship with him. And he's comparing them to the saltiness of the Dead Sea. And the mention of the Dead Sea is intended to give us a flashback. A flashback in scripture scripture to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 19, 24 to 26 we read, Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. And thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. God's judgment upon the cities was sulfur. But God's judgment upon Lot's wife was to turn her into a pillar of salt. Now salt did not have a positive connotation in the Old Testament although it is a preservative of some kind, but in the New Testament, it finds new meaning and fresh meaning. But here we see disobedient Israel was not a pillar of salt, but they were actually a sea of salt. It was not personal disobedience that led to this, but a collective disobedience that the people of God as a mass group of people were not following the Lord their God, and they had become salty. Nevertheless, God was willing to restore them by pouring his transforming fresh water into them and it would change their composition. This is the promise of God. That if God, if you would just get under that place where God is pouring out, that the saltiness in your life can be turned into fresh. Only God can do this. I wonder today, maybe there are some people here who are salty towards God. You are salty towards God. And by salty, I don't mean salty as in taste or in flavor, but salty in regards to your attitudes towards God. You know, the Urban Dictionary defines salty as being upset over something very little. For whatever reason, you might be angry today and you might be upset at God. And perhaps it is what he has said or not said. Perhaps it is what he has done or not done. But if you would just allow him to, he will pour fresh water back into you. And it will change the salty composition that is inside of you. And he'll turn you into fresh water. He can change your disposition. He can change your composition. Ultimately, he wants to transform your character. 
And I believe this morning, God wants to refresh you, like I said in the beginning, from the inside out. Thirdly, today, we find living water. See this in verses 9 to 12, where it says, Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. And there will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Engalam. There will be places for spreading their nets. And the fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. And every month they will bear fruit. Because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. What is the opposite of dead? It is living. What is the opposite of living? It is dead. And the Dead Sea was not just salty. It was dead. It was ecologically unstable and unable to sustain life and to give life. And as we saw in the Valley of the Dry Bones in Ezekiel 37, I know I didn't preach on it, but I know you know that scripture. God is able to bring dead things back to life. He has the power. I want to draw your attention this morning to three transformations in this portion of scripture that move from life to death. From death to life. Excuse me, sorry. The first is fresh fish. We see fresh fish. We acknowledge that no fish could survive in the Dead Sea. But in this vision, the river of God transformed the water conditions so that it could actually sustain life. And in verse 9, we are told of the vast quantity of fish. Now, in our minds, we are to imagine a school of fish, a group of the same species of fish. But then in verse 10, in the second half, we are reminded of the vast variety of fish. We are to imagine a shoal of fish. A group of different species of fish. And the quantity and the variety would be equivalent to the fish that are found in the Mediterranean Sea. A much larger, bigger sea. What are fresh fish given for? Yes, it beautifies the aquascape of the ocean and the sea and all the waters. But fish are also given to us to be eaten. Anybody love eating fish? Yeah, I do. It tastes good. And in verse 10, we're actually told that the fishermen will spread their nets, that they would never cease to haul in a good catch. And this represented how God would generously provide for his people that they would lack no good thing. So that we see fresh fish. Next, we see something else. We see fresh fruit. According to verse 12, in the beginning, there are a variety of fruit trees that flourish because they are being nourished by the river of God. The fruit is said to never fail and produce monthly. I love that. Isn't that amazing? To produce monthly. That means, you know, we're coming into the fall. That means we're moving into apple season, right? I love apple season because I love honey crisp apples. That's my favorite kind of apple. So I go to the farm and I get it in September, you know, early September. We try to go to the farm that's near us and collect those apples and go apple picking. But the thing is, that apple only comes in season at a certain period of time. 
It's not always in season. It's only in season at a particular time, at the harvest moment. But here we're seeing fruit that never fails and produces monthly. It never stops producing. It's always producing. Why? Because it's blessed by God. The fruit never fails. It never goes bad. It's always good. There's nothing like biting into a rotten apple. It's nasty. Now you might recall what is written in Psalm 1 verse 3 where it says, That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. We are like the tree. Ezekiel's prophetic predecessor, he wrote something similar in Jeremiah 17, verse 8. He said this, They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. And it does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. Now catch this for a moment. The leaves are always green. That means there's no fall where the leaves change colors. Preparation for winter. There's no winter where the tree never has leaves. It is always in perfect season. It is always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. Friends, I want you to know today that proximity proximity to the river of God matters. You need to get close. It is God who made the trees fruitful. It is God who makes us fruitful. And as a result of this, God's people would be fulfilled in life. In many ways, God was promising restoration of the Edenic blessing. That what was promised in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, that promise is available for his people now and available for them in the future. That the fruit of the trees are good for food. That they would be able to eat as much as they wanted until they were satisfied. This represents how God would use the fruitfulness of the trees to fulfill the desires of his people. And then next, we see fresh leaves. As we learn in Ezekiel 47, 12, and Psalm 1, verse 3, and Jeremiah 17, verse 8, the leaves of the trees do not wither. They always stay green. Yes. There can be no decay when the river of God is your life source. And according to the second half of verse 12, The leaves from the trees are being used to bring healing to human bodies. Now, in one way, you and I, we might think medicinally that the properties of the tree and the leaves would be helpful for curing sickness and disease. But it's even beyond that. That healing is a byproduct of having your roots connected to the river of God. And those among God's people who are physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually sick or hurt would be healed and be made whole. If you want to receive your healing today, can I encourage you to get next to the water of God? In Revelation 22, verse 2, John's vision expands the horizons of this image by telling us that the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. You know, this morning we prayed, Pastor Sharon prayed for the Northwest Territories and how they're experiencing fire and now evacuation. And we think of Hawaii and how they've been experiencing fire and the horrible devastation in those places. Friends, the healing is available today. 
when we pray the healing of God, just like the tree, the leaves of the trees bring healing for the nations, we pray for the healing of the nations today. While Ezekiel spoke about the healing of Israel in their circumstance, Revelation 22 spoke about the healing that is available when all things are made new. Friends, if you don't even experience healing now, here's what I want you to know. You will experience healing then. You will be made whole. You will be given a new body. And you will not cry and you will not have tears. And there will be no sickness and there will be no pain because God will restore all things. As we conclude this morning, and Pastor Phil and the worship team prepare as well. You know, earlier in the service, we saw people being baptized. This morning, we had 12. It was just a beautiful sight. And then in my message, I encouraged them and I encouraged even you today to take a next step to go deeper. And I really feel this in my heart today, that deep calls to deep. I want you to hear what I'm saying today. I feel like the deep things of God is calling out to you today to the deep parts of your soul. God is calling out to you today. And I feel so strongly in my heart as I prepared for this message for many weeks now to do something that I've never done before at WPA. We're going to provide an opportunity today for spontaneous water baptisms. It's pretty amazing. I will tell you that in the first service, we had two people come and they were baptized and this place was so jubilant. And celebratory, it was amazing. It was like the icing on the cake, wasn't it? And if you're here today, don't worry. We have shorts for you. We have t-shirts for you. We have towels for you. We got everything. You're covered. Okay? Before you respond, let me just say a few things. I want to briefly share five points today that I just want you to know if this is you. Water baptism is God's idea. How do I know that Christ gave us an example in being water baptized? And it is also one of Christ's commands. Secondly, water baptism doesn't save anyone. By that I mean it is a symbol of a change that has already taken place inside of you. There is nothing bonus that happens. It is a moment of blessing, yes. But it's not additional salvation or something else. Thirdly, water baptism is a practical step of obedience. It humbles us to take a step of faith, to take a risk, to stand in front of people and to say that I'm not ashamed of Jesus. That's obedience. Fourthly, water baptism identifies you with Christ and with his church. That means that you, when you do this, you are joining with Christ and you are baptized into one body. Not into two bodies or three bodies, the body of Christ. You're among the believers. Fifth, water baptism is a symbol of new life. It moves us from death to life. It is a picture of that transformation. So why don't you all stand with me this morning? And if you're here today and you're ready to take that step in just a few minutes, I'm going to invite you to come to meet my wife, Kylie, here at the front. But I want to pray for you. Listen, if you've already been water baptized, fantastic. That's good. You need to take another step. Get deeper in the water, okay? I'm not asking you to get baptized again. We don't do that here. We don't believe in that. 
But we're asking you to take another step in your faith journey with God. Make sure you're getting into deep water. Don't stay ankle deep. But for those who have not been water baptized, today I am trying to remove any barrier, any limitation, any of the 10,000 reasons why you should not get baptized. Because you might feel really that the Lord is speaking to you through the Holy Spirit. You feel that conviction in your heart, I need to do this. But then there could be 10,000 reasons why you shouldn't do this today. I'll tell you, that's the voice of the enemy. He does not want you to move forward. He wants you to stay stuck where you are. But I believe that in this place, just like the first service, I'm walking by faith. I don't know how many people are going to come. I'm believing for many because I believe there's people here who have not been water baptized. And I believe that there's been something holding you back. And today's the day to overcome that challenge. And now you have no reason because we're going to provide you with everything. And here's the thing I want to promise you. Everybody in this place is going to be celebrating you. Like, you heard the celebration when other people are being water baptized. We're not against you. This is something we celebrate with you because it's a spiritual milestone in your life. It's you taking that next step. And so you're going to have a big cheering section here. And we're going to make this place jubilant. We're going to sing. We're going to you know rejoice. We're going to prep the atmosphere, Pastor Phil. We're going to just get this room ready for this. And then in a few minutes, they're just going to leave and get ready, get changed, get prepped, and come right back in. And we're going to do this. So let me pray for you, and then I'm going to ask you to respond. Lord Jesus, in this place, Lord, I pray for every person who has heard the word of God preached to them today, both in person and even online. If you're online and you're hearing me today and you want to get water baptized, You need to call the church. You need to email Pastor Kim, kim at wpa.church, and we'll set you up. But Lord, for every person who is in-house today, Lord, I'm praying that you would remove fear right now in the name of Jesus. You would remove excuses in the name of Jesus. You would cause this person and these people to take a step of faith forward because God is preparing the way for them. There is a next opportunity for them to deepen their walk with Jesus. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, that as they take this big faith step, as they take this risk to come out of their seat and to come to the front and to be prepared to be water baptized, that they would feel the peace of God like never before. They would feel the confirmation in their heart. Indeed, this is the will of God for my life. I am obeying the word in doing this. I'm being faithful to God in doing this. I'm following in the footsteps of Jesus, my master. And I pray that they would experience the affirmation of God. In fact, I even pray for just as Jesus experienced it, that they would hear the voice of the Father saying, This is my son, this is my daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. Lord, I pray that even possible, they may see uh, the symbolic nature of the dove, which means the Holy Spirit. And they may be filled with the Holy Spirit, we pray. We believe. Let faith arise in our hearts today. If we've been water baptized, then we have faith for others today. And for those who have not been water baptized, I pray that faith would arise. And let the enemy be scattered. So 
So Jesus, bless this moment. Let it be a sacred moment in their lives that they'll never forget that on this day, they were baptized in water. They were unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They said, as of this day, I will not turn back. I will not waver to the left or to the right. I will stay in the perfect will of God for my life. And I'm fully, totally surrendered to him until the day I die. Lord, I pray that you'd move in this place by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen.